You know, I'm glad to report today that God is alive and well. Isn't that good news? No matter what the world says, our God is alive and well. Can I just say this? I believe this with all my heart. I've been thinking a lot about it this week. I've read a lot of news and watched a lot of things over the last couple of weeks that just continues to trouble me. There's a lot of things going on in our world. This is not the same world that I was born into. I grew up in. It's changed. Amen? But you know what? Our God is the same. And he has a plan and he's executing that plan, bringing us closer and closer to that point in time when we get to spend eternity with the Lord. And quite honestly, I can't wait for that to happen. Are y'all ready? You got your bags packed? You're not going to need them. (laughs) John Maxwell once wrote these words. He said, your attitude at the beginning of a task will affect its outcome more than anything else, your attitude. Now, how many of us are free of attitudes? Hey, at least you're honest. He also said your attitude is either your best friend or your worst enemy, your greatest asset or your uh, greatest liability. That's certainly true of the attitudes that we sometimes have, and we all get them, don't we? Confession time. We all get an attitude. Well, think about it. If, if your attitude at the beginning of a task affects the outcome, what about the choices that you make? What about the choices you make? Young people, I want you to listen to me today especially. What about the choices you make? Does your choice, your choices early on in life affect the outcome of your life? You know, I'm convinced that every choice you make matters. I'm also convinced that even the words you speak matter. If you don't believe me, ask Kurt Schilling. Ask the black pastor down in the south that's been preaching the gospel and he got fired because of the truth that he's been preaching. What you say matters. In James chapter 3 verse 6 he says, And the tongue is a flame of fire. It is full of wickedness that can ruin your whole life. Notice that. It can ruin your whole life. It can turn the entire course of your life into a blazing flame of destruction for it is set on fire by hell itself. One misspoken word can destroy your whole life. It can get you fired. It can destroy a relationship. It can get you kicked out of school. Say the wrong word at the wrong time can get you arrested. The words that you use every day, are very, very important. I remember my father saying to me when I was just a teenager, son, be careful what you say. Always think about what you're going to say before you say it because once you say it, you can't put it back in your mouth. When it comes out, it's out. And you need to be careful what you say. Well, what about the decisions that you make every day? How important are the choices that you make? What about living your life, making choices that are maybe not in the will of God, outside the will of God? What about making those choices that are outside the will of God? Is that good or is that bad? There are three ways to look at God's will as it relates to you. And I just want to remind you, you may already know these, but I I want to remind you of them. 
You can live your life in the perfect will of God. You can also live, choose to live in the permissive will of God. And you may already be living outside the will of God. All three are possible. There are specific things that God wants you to do with your life. And when you do them, when you obey him, you are in the perfect will of God. And then there are other things that you can choose to do that are within the perimeters of God's permissive will. There are sometimes options that God will give you. There are also times, there are other choices and times that are emphatically and undeniably out of God's will. And we need to stay away from those events and those opportunities. Acts chapter 16 is a perfect example of all three of these. It's about a time when Paul and his missionary team were on their second journey, their second missionary journey over in the area of Asia Minor and even over in Macedonia. In verse 6 it says, Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Phrygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had told them not to go into the province of Asia at that time. Then coming to the board, borders of Messiah, they headed to the province of Bithynia. But again, the Spirit of Jesus did not let them go. So instead, they went on through Messiah to the city of Troas. That night, Paul had a vision. And he saw a man from Macedonia in northern Greece pleading with him, Come over here and help us. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once. For we could only conclude that God was calling us to preach the good news there. Now folks, I see all three positions uh, that are related to God's will right here in these verses. Think about it. Paul and his team uh, would have been out of God's will if they'd gone into Asia. And so God stopped them. He told them what he didn't want them to do and they didn't do it. So uh, he kept them from being out of his will. God didn't want them to go into Bithynia either. So, uh, you know, if they had chosen to go there, if they disobeyed God, they would have been out of God's will uh, as well. God did allow them to go through Messiah to get to Troas. There were probably several ways that they could have traveled to get there. He permitted them to go the way they chose. And, and the bottom line, God wanted them in Troas. How they got there didn't matter. God wanted to use Troas as a staging point for getting them to be where God truly wanted them to be. You see, at this point in Paul's life, on this particular missionary journey, going to Macedonia was the perfect will of God for Paul and for the mission team. That is exactly where God was planning to work, and he wanted his team there. He was staging them, getting them ready. It was his perfect will for their life to be there in Macedonia. Now, is it important for you to live your life in the perfect will of God? Is it? Some of you are going, I'm not sure even what it is. What is the perfect will of God? I would say to you, yes, emphatically yes, absolutely yes. You see, God's perfect will is where his greatest blessings are. If you're in the perfect will of God, you're right where God wants you. That's where you're going to be blessed the most. That's where you're going to be the most fruitful for the kingdom of God. Uh, God's perfect will is where he will providentially care for you with the greatest care. 
Choosing to be who God wants you to be and to be where he wants you to be is absolutely critical to your well-being. People have asked me, well, uh, with that accent you have, where are you from? It's kind of a redneck-y uh, you know, uh, accent. I understand that. I, I'm from Florida. And people go, well, what, if you're from Florida, how in the world did you get to Virginia? It's a one-word answer. God. It's God's will that I be here. And I have followed him all the way to this place. And uh, I'm glad to be here. I hope you're glad I'm here. <laughs> we have, we've been having a good time. Praise the Lord. You know, uh, the quicker that you find out what God wants to do with your life and where he wants you to be, the better. Uh, wasted years are irreplaceable. They're like seconds on a clock. Once they tick off, they're gone. You don't get them back. Blessings and opportunities, well, they do have a shelf life. And as the old Southern saying goes, if you snooze, you lose. I learned very early on, personally, that God begins calling you when you're young to be who he wants you to be and to do what he wants you to do. And the quicker you figure out that, that God wants you to be and you know what he wants you to do, the better. Some of us are only, what, 12, 13? How many 14, 15-year-olds we have here this morning? You wish. <laughs> liar, liar, pants on fire. <laughs> We've got quite a few. How many of you know what God wants you to do with your life? How many of you even know what you want to do with your life? See, I rest my case. Now is when you need to know what God wants to do with your life because if you don't, you'll waste a lot of years. You'll waste a lot of time. You'll miss a lot of blessings. You may even find yourself outside the will of God and not protect, protected by God. And you can get yourself in all kind of trouble. You look around, there's some adults with some scars on them and that's why. Because they didn't listen to God when they should have listened to God. They didn't do what God wanted them to do. I have mine. Okay, I want you to know that God calls you early on. He starts telling you what he wants you to do with your life. And again, the quicker you figure out, that out, the better. I want, I want to show you an example of that. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 1. This is an interesting part of scripture that teaches us just what I've been talking about. Look with me at verse 1. It says, these are the words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests of Anathoth, a town in the land of Benjamin. The Lord first gave messages to Jeremiah during the 13th year of King Josiah's reign in Judea. He continued to give messages throughout the reign of Josiah's son, King Jehoiakim, until the 11th year of King Zedekiah's reign in Judea. In other words, he gave him the word for three different kings through three different, the reign of three different kings. In August of that year, the people of Jeremiah, uh, Jerusalem were, were taken away as captives. Now look at verse 4. These are the words coming from Jeremiah. The Lord gave me a message, and this is what he said. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you ever existed, God 
knew who you were going to be. Do you understand how important that is? I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my spokesman to the world. Now, what if God were saying that to some of you 14 and 15-year-olds today? I am of the opinion that God needs somebody to stand up and speak truth today like never before. Our world needs it. Who knows, there may be another Billy Graham right here in our midst. Look at what he says. Oh, sovereign Lord, I can't speak for you. I'm too young. <laughs> Isn't that what we all think? We've got two excuses. I'm either too young or I'm too old. I'm too young. But God says, don't say that. You must go wherever I send you and say whatever I tell you. And don't be afraid of, of the people. For I will be with you and take care of you. I, the Lord, have spoken. And then the Lord touched my mouth, Jeremiah said. See, and he said this. See, I have put my words in your mouth. Today I appoint you to stand up against what? nations and kingdoms not just against the town bully or the school bully but nations and kingdoms you are to uproot some and tear them down and to destroy and overthrow them you are to build others up and plant them what a task for a 14 year old boy by the way when God spoke these words to Jeremiah that's how old he was he was a teenager, 14, maybe 15 years old. What a challenge to put on a young person. And yet Jeremiah was up to the challenge. And God did everything he said he was going to do through that young man as he grew older. He said, Jeremiah, I've got a plan for your life. And if you will do this, you will be in my perfect will. You will be greatly blessed and you will be greatly protected. Isaiah 46.10, God said through Isaiah, only I can tell you what is going to happen even before it happens. None of us know what's going to happen come November, amen? <laughs> None of us know what's going to happen after November. That could be worse. He said, everything I plan will come to pass for I do whatever I wish. God's in control, folks. He says, my thoughts are completely different from yours, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything that you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Dr. Ronnie Floyd, writing about this passage of Scripture, said Jesus paid the highest price possible for the sins of the world when he died on the cross as the perfect sacrifice for your sins and mine. What God did through his son on Calvary uh, that day is the greatest picture of how God's ways are so different and so much higher than ours. Our sovereign God is truly incomprehensible. He went to amazingly great lengths to enable us to know him 
and to be in fellowship with him, yet so often we don't understand what is happening in our lives. I'm convinced that most people don't know what God is doing, and they certainly don't know what God wants. That wasn't true about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul had a personal relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. He came to know the Lord personally. He knew how to discern the will of God and be where God wanted him to be and say what God wanted him to say. And that is very clear as you look into the 23rd chapter of Acts that we're going to be looking at again this morning. It's a very simple passage of Scripture, and yet it's very profound. John MacArthur writes of this passage, he says, this, is an, this narrative passage contains no doctrinal truths or practical exhortations. It merely recounts an event in Paul's life. Yet no passage of Scripture could more clearly illustrate the providence of God. The providence of God. Well, pastor, what in the world is the providence of God? Why is it important that we know what that is? What is it? Well, it is God's sovereign control over and his ordering of natural circumstances to accomplish his perfect will. It is God using life events to accomplish all that he plans to do. We need to know something about the providence of God. It is important. I want you to hear what Jesus had to say about the providence of God and how God takes care of us in that providential care. Luke chapter 12, verse 24, Jesus said, look at the ravens. They don't need to plant or harvest or put food in the barns because God feeds them. And you are far more valuable to him than any birds. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Of course not. And if worry can't, can't, can't do little things like that, what's the use of worrying over bigger things? Look at the lilies and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for uh, flowers that are here today and gone tomorrow, won't he more surely care for you? You have so little faith, Jesus said. And don't worry about food, what to eat or what to drink. Some of you are already worrying about what you're going to eat today at lunch. Are we going to beat the Methodists to the restaurant first? Don't worry about what you eat or drink. Don't worry about whether God will provide it provide it for you these things dominate the thoughts of most people but your father already knows your needs he will give you all you need from day to day if you make the kingdom of God your primary concern so don't be afraid little flock for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom Matthew records Jesus saying these words so don't worry about having enough food or drink or clothing. Why be like the pagans who are so deeply concerned about these things? Your heavenly father already knows all your needs. And he will give you all you need from day to day if you live for him 
and make the kingdom of God your primary concern. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's troubles is enough for today. What you're going to be seeing this morning as we look into the 23rd chapter of Acts is that God has his hand on the Apostle Paul's life and he's working out his plan and his purpose in his life. And and I'm here to say that if God can do that for Paul, he can do that for you and he can do that for me. And he will if we meet two conditions. One, you have to know him personally through his son, Jesus Christ. And second, you have to be willing to obey the will of God. That's what Jesus just taught us. If you know me and you obey me, I'll meet every need you got. I'll bless your socks off. Now I want you to notice with me how God providentially delivers Paul. The very first thing I see in verse 12 is that there was an evil plot formulated against Paul. Verse 12 says the next morning a group of Jews got together and bound themselves with an oath to neither eat nor drink until They had killed Paul. Sounds like a great way to lose weight, doesn't it? If God's got his hand on Paul, you're not going to kill him. So you better be ready not to eat for a while. There were more than 40 of them. They went to the leading priests and the other leaders and told them what they had done. We have bound ourselves under oath to neither eat nor drink until we've killed Paul. You and the high council, council should... Tell the commanders to bring Paul back to the council again, they requested. Pretend you want to examine his case more fully, and we'll kill him on the way. Dr. Dwayne Mercer said in in his quest to discourage and even destroy the people of God, Satan often uses people. Ironically, most of those involved in this endeavor believed that they were doing the Lord's work. Such was the case of the 40 who wanted to take Paul's life. But God, however, had other plans for Paul's continued ministry. God came to Paul's rescue and protected his life until his work was what? Finished. You know what? God faithfully stands by those who commit themselves to him. And the beautiful thing is that as long as you are in his will, absolutely nothing can happen to you unless God wills for it to happen. That's outside of his will. So you can trust the Lord, amen? You can trust God. You can also be confident that he who began a good work in you will continue that work until the Lord Jesus Christ comes back. You can trust God. You can't trust anybody but God when it comes right down to it. Pastor, can I trust you? No. I can't trust you either. Humans fail humans. But God will not let you down. If you'll put your eyes on the Lord, he will not disappoint you. But I don't know of any human that will not disappoint you. But God never will. So friends, get in the will of God. Are you hearing me? Get in the will of God. Why? Because that is the safest place on earth to be. 
And that is where God will bless you. That's where Paul was. Even though there was a plot against his life, he was in the will of God and God took care of him. Look, look at how the plot was found out by Paul. This is, again, part of the providence of God. Now, before I read this passage of Scripture, let me say that this is the only place in the entire Bible where we know or find out anything specific about Paul's family. We don't know anything about Paul's mother or father. Never hear anything in all of Scripture about him. We don't know how many brothers or sisters he had. We don't know that he was ever married or if he was married and his wife died or what. We don't know any of that. What we do find out is that Paul had a sister. Paul had a sister. And he had a nephew. That's all we know. The nephew just happened to be living in Jerusalem at the time. But as far as anything else, we don't know anything else. What we don't know really, truly, is how Paul's nephew came to find out about that plot that was against Paul. But we know he found out because he had information that Paul needed. Somehow, God put information in Paul's or in, in, in his nephew's hands for Paul, uh, things that Paul needed to know about the plot. Now, look with me at ver this verse. Verse 16, Paul's nephew heard of their plan, and he went to the fortress and told Paul, and Paul called one of the officers and said, Take this young man to the commander. He has something important to tell him. So the officer did, explaining, Paul, the prisoner, called me over and asked me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. Verse 19 says the commander took him by the arm and led him aside. He wanted a private conversation with this young man. And he asked him, What is it that you want to tell me? Well, Paul's nephew told him, some Jews are going to ask you to bring Paul before the Jewish high council tomorrow, pretending that they want to get some more information, but don't do it. There, there are more than 40 of them hiding along the way, ready to jump him and kill him. They have vowed not to eat or drink until they kill him. They are ready, expecting you to agree to their request. Verse 22 says, the commander says to this young man, don't let a soul know that you told me this, and he sent him away. Just as Satan can use people to carry out his evil work, so also can God work out his plan and purpose through unbelievers like this Roman commander. This Roman commander had absolutely no idea about the providence of God or what God was doing through Paul. He didn't know anything but God did, and God used him. Folks, you got to understand, Satan is not as powerful as God. He's not working a master plan that's going to succeed. He's going to fail. He always does. Now, I want you to look in verse 23 at how God providentially frustrates this wicked plan that they put together to kill Paul. And, and, and before we look at it, I want you to, say, I want you to hear this. No matter what your problem is today, how many of you got a problem? Come on, be honest. How many of you would admit you got a problem you need help with? If you're living, you got a problem. No matter what your problem is, no matter what your needs are, God has unlimited resources to take care of you. If you believe that, say amen. Unlimited resources. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew 10. 
I would say if somebody was going to try to kill you, that would be a big problem. Would you agree? Look at what he says. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill you. They can only kill your body. Some of you are going, yeah, but I don't want my body to die. You know why you don't want your body to die? Because you're living as if this is all there is to live for. This is not it, folks. God's got you here to decide where you want to spend eternity. Eternity is where it's at. He says they can only kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both the soul and body in hell. Which is more important, your soul or your body? Well, why do you feed your body more than you feed your soul? Are you with me? I'm preaching this morning. Not even a sparrow worth only a half a penny can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. And even the very hairs on your head are numbered. My number changes daily. Some of you that got a lot of hair, you ought to be ashamed of yourself for laughing at your preacher. Do you remember reading about the night that they came to arrest Jesus? They came to the garden with swords and lights. They came into the garden and they came in with ropes and they took hold of Jesus. And about the time they grabbed Jesus, Peter drew his sword and he swung at that head. That He tried to take the neck, you know, he aimed at the neck of that that servant of the high priest, he was trying to take his head off. And the man ducked, and as he ducked, he got his ear and sliced it right off. Y'all remember reading about that? It's in the Bible. It's an interesting story. It really happened. I'm not making it up. It happened. Well, that's when Jesus said these words. He made a profound statement. He said, put away your sword. Those who use the sword will be killed by the sword. Don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us and he would send them instantly. Thousands of angels waiting for the command of God to protect his children. When Paul was in Corinth and things were heating up and they were gathering to get together to come against Paul and kill him, the Lord said to Paul, don't be afraid, speak out, don't be silent, for I am with you and no one will harm you because many people here in this city belongs to me. So verse 11 said, Paul stayed there for, for the next year and a half teaching the word of God. Why in the world would Paul stay there so long when his life was in so much danger? You want to know why? Because he knew the Lord had his back. He had all confidence in the plan and the providence of God. He knew he could trust in the Lord. Well, guys, who are you trusting in? You trusting in that job you got? You trusting in that bank account you got? You trusting in your good health? You trusting in your mate or your friends or your ability, what you can do? What are you trusting in? If it's not the Lord, your trust is in the wrong place. 
Paul was trusting in the Lord. He knew that God was in control. Look at verse 23. It says, Then the commander called two of his officers and ordered, Get 200 soldiers ready to leave for Caesarea at 9 o'clock tonight and take 200 spearmen and 70 horsemen. Provide horses for Paul to ride and get him safely to Governor Felix. I want you to watch what God's doing here. He's protecting him providentially and, and, and nobody knows it but Paul. The commander that the scripture talks about here had a thousand man garrison under his control. A thousand soldiers. And he calls for 470 of them. That's almost half a thousand, right? Can we do the math? That's 30 short of half. You don't have to have a computer to figure that out. It's Almost half, and they're to safely escort Paul from Jerusalem all the way to Caesarea by the sea. Okay? He calls for two centurion officers, two captains, who commanded a hundred men apiece. We're talking about one guy here that they got to get from Jerusalem to Caesarea. One man, 200 soldiers, 70 fighting horsemen, and 200 more armed spearmen, javelin throwers. Do the math. That's 470 soldiers that were to escort Paul safely from Jerusalem to Caesarea. Why in the world would you have so many? God was taking care of his man. See, God has unlimited resources. People, animals, soldiers, angels. Nothing can stop the plan and purpose of God. Absolutely nothing. They even give Paul several horses to ride. You got to understand, they're going 65 miles. It's 65, roughly 65 miles from Jerusalem to Caesarea. They even give him a letter. A letter was always required when a Roman officer sent a prisoner to his superior. And this commander did no different. Verse 25 said, then he wrote this letter to the governor from Claudius Lysus uh, to His Excellency, Governor Felix. He says, greetings. This man was seized by some Jews and they were about to kill him when I arrived with the troops. When I learned that he was a Roman citizen, I removed him to safety. Then I took him uh, to the, their high council to try to find out what he had done. I soon discovered that it was something regarding their religious law, certainly nothing worthy of imprisonment or death. But when I was informed of a plot to kill him, I immediately sent him on to you. I have told his accusers to bring their charges before you. Now, with this letter, no doubt Lysias was doing what was expected of him, but he was also covering his tracks. He's also covering his mistakes. 
He says nothing in this letter about when he found out that Paul was a Roman citizen or how he found out. He doesn't say anything about him ordering Paul to be scourged or his mistake of, of, of thinking he was an Egyptian troublemaker. He does rightly, however, say that Paul did not deserve death or imprisonment and thus he sends him to safety to the governor and, and he got him out of Jerusalem. Now, again, Claudius, being the professional soldier that he was, he wanted to make sure that nothing happened to his prisoners. Soldiers were responsible. If he'd have lost him, if he'd have died, it would have cost him his life. So he's got to protect him at, at all costs. And verse 31 says, So that night, as ordered, the soldiers took Paul as far as Antipatris. Antipatris was a Roman military outpost. It was also a stopping point for travelers leaving from Jerusalem, going up to Caesarea. It was, um, it was about 35, 40 miles north, uh, east or northwest of Jerusalem, uh, out in the middle of nowhere. It was up on the border between the area where the Jews lived and the area where the Samaritans lived. So it was kind of in no man's land. He knew if he got him as far as Antipatris that he would be protected there. He would probably eliminate the threat of ambush if he got him to that point. And, and they, they made it that way. So, for now, you, you also got to think about this. When, when he's trying to get him out of Jerusalem and all the way to Caesarea, 65 miles is a long way to go. They didn't have Amtrak and they didn't have cabs and they didn't have cars and trucks. They're marching. Some are riding horses, but most of them are on foot. To, to make it from Jerusalem to Antipatris in just a matter of about six hours, well, they, they would have had to have a, a grueling forced march, kind of a fast-paced march all the way up there. Now, I've never done that. Some of you guys have been in the military, you've done that. But to have to walk in about six hours, 35 to 40 miles, that's pretty hard to do. So how in the world did they do it? I'd say it's almost impossible to do. How did they do it? I think God helped them to get there. They weren't drinking God, or Gatorade. They were drinking God-Aid. God took care of them. He got them there. He had a purpose for them being there. Folks, God is faithful. Look at verse 35. They, they get him there. Actually, look at verse 32. It says, the next morning, while the horsemen, uh, they returned to the fortress. Uh, the next morning, while the horsemen took him on to Caesarea. So all the, the foot soldiers, they headed back to Jerusalem. Uh, the, the horse soldiers, they took Paul on into Caesarea. When they arrived, they presented Paul in the, in a letter to the governor. And he read it and then asked Paul what providence that he was from. And he says, Cilicia and uh, what he was trying to do was find out if he had jurisdiction to be able to try him be able to hear his case in verse 35 he says because of that I will hear your case myself when your accusers arrive and he had Paul put in prison uh, there in Herod's jail or Herod's palace Herod's headquarters until such time when the accusers came thus the stage was set and this is all this is coming to a point. The stage is set for the first of the many trials that the Romans would hold for Paul. 
And even more importantly was the fact that God was getting Paul in position for his greatest opportunity of ministry. You know, we think about Paul being the greatest missionary that ever lived. He went on three missionary journeys. He planted a lot of churches, started a lot of places where they worshiped God throughout that part of the area. But his greatest task that he ever had was preaching the gospel in Rome. Rome was the hub of, of the world at that time. The Roman Empire was in charge of everything. And if he could preach the, the gospel in Rome, there was greater chance for the gospel to get out to the ends of the earth. So that's why God was staging him, getting him ready, getting him there. Folks, God's providential care taught Paul a lot about God's faithfulness. Our God is faithful, is he not? He is faithful to do everything that he ever promised to do. And God knew that, Paul knew that, and praise God, he understood it. Not because he read it in a book. But because he walked with the Lord every day of his life, as after he found Christ, he began to walk with the Lord and he knew what God wanted to do with his life. Paul knew it personally. That's why he could write these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Look carefully with me at these words. He said, I can never stop thanking God for all the generous gifts that he has given you. Now that you belong to Christ Jesus, he has enriched your church with the gifts of eloquence and every kind of knowledge. This shows that what I told you about Christ is true. Now you have every spiritual gift that you need. Why? Because God has unlimited resources. He says you have every spiritual gift that you need as you eagerly wait for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will keep you strong right up to the end. And he will keep you free from all the blame on the great day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. Man, we need to be free that day. We need to be clean of all of our sin when the Lord comes back. You don't want to stand in God's presence with sin on your soul. You want to be clean. Verse 9 says, God will surely do this for you. For he always does just what he says. And he is the one who invited you into this wonderful friendship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. My friends, the same God who promised to take care of Paul and get him safely from Jerusalem to Rome is the same God that is inviting you to know him personally, to have a relationship with him, to know him intimately, to walk with him every day. You know, I, I thought about this earlier. If God could promise Paul that he would get him from Jerusalem to Rome with all the obstacles that were in his way, and if he could get him there, then that same God will be faithful to you. He can get you from Smithfield to heaven. Amen? Think about that. You know, a lot of people worry about that today. Am I going to make it into heaven? Am I ready? The God that Paul knew can get you ready. And there's an invitation, just like there was to Paul, there's an invitation for you to trust him more today than you've ever trusted him before in your life. Do you trust the Lord? Do you trust him with everything you have? Trust him with your life? Trust him with your pocketbook. Trust him with your time. 
your energy, your effort, everything you have. More than any time in the history of my 61 years, I believe today we need to trust Jesus. Our world's not getting better, folks. It's getting further and further away from God. And we need to trust the Lord more today, especially if you're a young person. Especially if you're a young person, you need to trust the Lord. My prayer is that you will make that commitment today if you don't already have that commitment. And if you made that commitment, I hope God will remind you of what you've committed yourself to and that you'll start living it more intently and more honestly and more sincerely because the days require it. I told Joyce this week, Everything that I was raised to believe about God and to know and to practice the values and the principles are being challenged at least and at the worst thrown out the window. I read yesterday in China in the last six months the new president of that country is having crosses removed from their public churches. They're making them all come off. Churches are being shut down. They're being bulldozed down. You say, well, that's in China. It can happen here, folks. And the only thing that's going to keep it from happening here is strong faith in God and a strong church. And the church is only as strong as the people who are the church. If we're strong in the Lord, we'll have a strong church. If our faith is strong, we'll be strong. If our faith is weak, we'll be weak. And guess what? You're not going to know what you are until you get tested. And we will be tried by fire. We will. So get strong. How does it start? It starts with a fresh commitment to the Lord. Looking at who you are before God. Do you really trust him? Now's the time to know for sure. Don't wait till you're tested. Trust him now. Trust him now. Let's pray. Father, I am grateful and thankful that you're a gracious God and one of long-suffering patience with us. I'm also thankful, Lord, that you're a God of second chances. You're a God that, that gives us an opportunity to come fresh, clean before you, to know you, to live for you. God, you help us to know to know you personally. You help us to know how to know you personally. God, you've revealed yourself throughout creation and even more so today, you reveal yourself through your written word and the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit to us. 
God, I pray for all of us that we would be able to know you personally today like we've never known you before. Grow our faith. Strengthen our fortitude. Help us to be strong in you so that, Lord, we can help win our world to Christ. Yes, Lord, it's about us being strong and ready for your return, but, Lord, it's also about us being strong and and ready and equipped to be able to win our world to Christ because so many people today do not know who you are. They do not know what you're doing, and they don't know how to understand. And they look to us who are Christians, and they want from us an example. They look to us for truth. They look to us for faith. God, help us to be the person, the people you've called us to be. Help us, Lord, from this day forward to live our life for you in a way that lets the world see Christ living in us. God, whatever you need to do in us today to shape us into the image of your Son so that we can be more of who you want us to be and so that we can live more in your will. God, please do it. Remove the sin in our life. Help us to come repenting and confessing. And help us to desire the holiness of God. Please, Lord, we need you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand.